until I release my presence, till you receive the power from on high. And then cloves of fire came upon each one of them as they received the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit was poured out. We're going to talk about a Spirit-filled life. We're going to talk about how to host the Holy Ghost, how to be a host of the Holy Ghost. You know, when, when we get visitors that come into our house, when we get guests that come into our homes, we get friends that come over, we want to make them feel warm. We want to make them feel accepted. We want to make them feel special because we love them and we want them to come back. So we, we give them the best food that we can cook, and we give them the best reading material. We put the best things on TV. We give them the remote control. We let them sit in our best chairs. We tell them how to work the thermostat and tell them, set it however you want. Now, if I was our kids, we wouldn't do that. It was like, you leave that thermostat right where it's set. Don't you touch it. But we treat guests special. And we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. The Holy Spirit. And we have to treat him special. We have to learn to be a host of the Holy Ghost. So we have to learn how to be a host of the Holy Ghost. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 3.16. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit? Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Do you not know that you are a temple of God? Donna was talking about a house that walks and talks. We're a house that was prophetic. We're a house that walks and talks. We walk and talk and we carry God with us. He doesn't dwell in, in buildings that are made by hands anymore. He doesn't dwell in tabernacles. He doesn't dwell in tents. He doesn't dwell in cathedrals. He dwells inside of us. He's a personal God. Romans 8.11. Romans 8.11 says, But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. It's the job of every believer to learn how to host the Holy Ghost. It's the job of every one of us to learn how to live a spirit-filled life. That's our goal here on earth. How do we go through this life and endure a lot of people resist the Holy Spirit. They think it's quirky. They think it's spooky. They think it's something that was maybe poured out on the day of Pentecost, but it's not for us. But I couldn't imagine going through this life without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit enables me, empowers me, equips me, helps me to do things I couldn't do. It gives me peace in the midst of the storm. It gives me a power that I couldn't have. The apostles denied Jesus and ran and were scattered until the Holy Spirit was poured out and it gave them the courage to die for Jesus. The Holy Spirit empowers us. When Jesus was on the cross, some of the last words Jesus said was, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. How'd that, Chris? <laughs> Those words were left in their original translation. The only problem was they don't know which translation they were in. They didn't know if it was in Ara uh, Aramaic or Syrian or Hebrew. So they said the best way we could translate it was, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But they couldn't get an accurate translation. And this was done a few times in the Bible. We look in the Bible and we see words that were in their original language because they couldn't figure out how to put the emotions into the words. When Jesus was on the cross, he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This was a time when the Father looked away from the Son. The, the Father turned his head and the Holy Spirit withdrew his presence because at that time, Jesus became sin. Jesus became every sin that every man could ever commit, past, present, and future. He became sin, and the Father turned his eyes, and the Holy Spirit withdrew his presence. And Jesus said, my God, my God. And the translators did the best job they could to figure out what he was saying. But they couldn't correctly translated because of the agony that Jesus was in because of that moment 
He said, why have you forsaken me? What happened on the day, what happened on the cross that day at Calvary was beyond our comprehension. When Jesus had conversation with the Father, and the Father and the Holy Spirit withdrew their presence and, and turned away from Christ, we can't seem to understand it. The Bible says that cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. And Jesus became that curse for us. Jesus died in our place. He died in what we call atonement, in compensation. He took what we deserved. He died in place of us on the tree. He became a curse. What killed Jesus? Was it the lack of blood? Was it the Roman lictor that scourged his back and tore his back open and he bled? Was it the the blood that was shed from his hands and his feet from the rusty nails that pierced his skin? Was it the sword that pierced his side and the blood flowed out? I say none of that. I don't believe Jesus died from a lack of blood. Was it the weight of the cross? We know that as Jesus walked on the road to Golgotha, we call the Via Della Rosa, we know that he, he, he tripped and the, the weight of the cross fell on him and he collapsed. And they had to get Simon the Cyrene to help him carry the cross. But I don't believe it was the weight of the cross that killed Jesus. Was it his own body weight? We know that they say that he had to push himself up to breathe. So was it his body weight? A lot of people believe it was his body weight that killed Jesus. I say none of these killed Jesus because Jesus wasn't killed. Jesus laid down his life by will. He chose to lay his life down. Man did not kill Jesus. Jesus laid his life down for us. He chose to lay his life down. He chose to lay his life down. So it, it wasn't the lack of blood. It wasn't the weight of the cross. It wasn't Pilate. It wasn't the Jews. It wasn't the Sanhedrin. It wasn't the Roman soldiers. Two things had to happen for Jesus to die. Two things had to happen for Jesus to physically die. The first thing that had to happen was Jesus had to stop speaking because there was power in the words that Jesus spoke. Jesus said, my words are spirit and they are life. Jesus, the one that created the universe, the one that spoke the universe into, into creation, the one that said, let there be light and, that let, and there was light, the one that said, let there be a firmament, in the midst, and there was a firmament that was created. The one that said, let there be green trees and herbs, herbs, and, and that was created. So the one that spoke creation, he had to stop speaking. He could have at any time said, God, I'm done. Take me off of this cross, and myriads of angels would have come and took him off the cross. So the first thing had to happen was Jesus had to quit speaking. If Jesus was still in conversation with God the Father, death could not touch him. Death was held at bay. If Jesus was still in conversation with the two thieves on the side of the cross, death could not touch him. Death could not touch him. If Jesus was still in conversation with Mary, his mother, and John the Beloved, death could not touch him because he had something to say. So the first thing that happened to happen for Jesus to die physically was he had to stop speaking. The second thing that had to happen for Jesus to die physically was the presence of the eternal Holy Spirit had to be lifted from him. And this is what happened when he said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, the presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus cried with a loud voice after that. And it says he gave up the ghost. He released the ghosts, and he died. So these two things had to happen. It was the absence. We need to get this. It was the absence of his word, and it was the absence of the presence of the Holy Spirit that caused Jesus to die physically. There's a message in that. There's a clue in that. There's something for us to, to glean from that. It, that. As long as we're confessing the word of God, as long as we're studying, as long as we're reading, as long as we're memorizing, as long as we're standing on the word of God, as long as we're believing in the promises of God, 
And as long as we have the Holy Spirit, as long as we're hosting the Holy Ghost, as long as the Holy Spirit lives in us and we're cultivating that relationship and we appreciate that relationship and we acknowledge that relationship, that indwelling of the Holy Spirit, as long as those two things are going on, we cannot die spiritually. We will die physically if God tarries, if God doesn't come back because God can come back at any moment. God can come back today. God can come back tonight. God can come back tomorrow. God can come back at any moment. But as long as we have the word of God in us and we abide in the word and the word abides in us and we are active in the word and we are learning the word and speaking the word and walking in the word and believing the word, studying the word and memorizing the word and standing on the promises and we have his Holy Spirit, then we can't die spiritually. There's a saying that says, born once, die twice, born twice, die once. When Nicodemus went to Jesus at night and he said, what must I do to be saved? Jesus says, verily I say unto you, you must be born again to see the kingdom of God. He says, what do you mean? He says, well, you must be born. He says, you must be born of the flesh and of the spirit to see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus stood there with this glazed, confused look. He said, you must be born of the flesh and of the spirit. You must be born of, he's, Jesus said, that which is born of water. Hang on just a second. <laughs> I didn't have it in my notes. He said, that which is born of the flesh. Let's see, how did Jesus say that? I need to go back in my notes. I'm sorry. Uh, he said, you must be born of water and of the spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the water, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. You must be born of water and of the spirit. When we're born of the flesh, we pass through the birth canal, the water bag breaks, that's born of the water. But when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us, that's when we begin living. That's when, the Holy, that's when the spirit inside of us is awakened and we begin living and we begin walking as living beings, try union and relationship with God. As long as we're speaking the word, as long as we have the Holy Spirit, we'll live spiritually. When we neglect the word and the word becomes stale, and the word becomes, and we get complacent, and the, it becomes dormant in our life, and we start neglecting the spirit, that's when we begin to die spiritually. We begin to die spiritually. We have to feed the spirit man that lives inside of us. He, he requires to be fed, just like our kids when we bring them home from the hospital. We don't just sit them and say, well, glad you're here and go about our business. No, we've got to feed them. We've got to feed them to make them grow. The spirit man inside of us needs to be fed because we have to be a good host. So we have to feed him. If not, the flesh man will get stronger than the spirit man. So we have to feed the spirit man. And the Holy Ghost teaches us how to feed our inner man. The Holy Spirit teaches us how to host the Holy Ghost. How amazing is that? There will always be life in this church because the word will always be preached. The pure, undiluted, unadulterated word of God will always be preached in this church. This church will not die spiritually. There will always be the presence of the Holy Spirit in this church because we respect the Holy Spirit. We give him reverence. We acknowledge him. We worship him. So there will always be the presence of the Holy Spirit in this church. So this church will not die. This church will live. When Jesus was on the cross, Jesus died naked and unclothed and ashamed. He died naked, unclothed, and ashamed. And we know that Jesus died. When, when we picture Jesus, we picture him with this, this little uh, linen cloth around him. When we see pictures drawn, we always see it. But we know Jesus died naked and unclothed because he was the second Adam. You see, the first Adam was in the garden, and he was naked, and he was unashamed because he was clothed in the presence of God. 
all the many scholars believe that as, as Adam walked with Jesus in the garden, it was the presence of God, the glory of God that wrapped around him like a garment, like a garment. So he was unashamed. But then Adam sinned. And the Bible says that Adam sinned. And when Jesus returned to the garden, it said Adam hid from his presence. You see, outside of the presence, we're naked. Outside of the presence of God, we're unclothed. And it was at that time that Adam re realized that he was naked because he didn't have the presence of God on him like a garment. The presence of God, the Holy Spirit, the indwelling Holy Spirit as we host him does two things for us. It keeps us alive and it exposes sin in our life. It exposes sin in our life. This is why it's so important that when we come to church, we leave different than we came because we have to host the Holy Ghost. We have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. When we come to church, there's something special about the presence of the Holy Spirit. There's something special about corporate worship. There's something special about when we all come together and we worship God corporately. The Holy Spirit will begin to tug on our hearts. A gentle voice will begin to tell us, hey, what about that? Maybe you need to take care of that in your life. Maybe you need to tend to it. will start revealing and exposing things in our thoughts, in our emotions, in our heart, in the corners of our heart that we need to tend to and we need to be obedient to the Holy Ghost to resolve those things. A gentle tugging, that's how the Holy Ghost operates. We need more than little talks, little songs, fellowship, and food. We need the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. We need to be a host of the Holy Ghost. I thank God for the Holy Spirit in my life. I thank God for the Holy Spirit in Donna's life. And I thank God for the Holy Spirit in everyone's life in here today. I, I couldn't imagine life without the Holy Spirit. And when we speak of Holy Spirit, and you'll hear me say sometimes I won't call him the Holy Spirit. This is something Donald and Jen brought back from Cambodia. Sometimes we call him just Holy Spirit because that's his name. He's a person. So we say Holy Spirit. But I thank God for Holy Spirit leading and guiding us in our life. I don't ever want the Holy Spirit to just bless me. And the Holy Spirit does. He blesses us like no one could bless us. He makes us feel good like nobody can make us feel. He encourages us. But I don't want the Holy Spirit just to bless me all the time. Sometimes I want the Holy Spirit to blister me. I want him to blister me. I want the Holy Spirit to drive me to my knees and make me realize that I'm a sinner. And make me realize that I'm lost without grace of God and without the repentance in my life, I would become cold, I would become dry, I would become separated from God if it weren't for the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit's job is to bless us, but it's also to blister us sometimes. It's to give us the realization that, hey, what about this? And he exposes the sin in our life. And at the very moment that we repent of that thing that we tolerated, we repent of that thing that we dabbled with, we repent of that thing that we justified in our mind that was okay, but it's really a sin. And when we repent, 1 John 1, 9 says, If you confess your sins, I'm faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. At that very moment, and then we can continue on with the Holy Ghost presence and we won't be naked and we won't be ashamed like Adam was in the garden when he hid. We have to beat the accuser to the throne of God just like we talked about last week. The devil, when we sin, he's the accuser of the brethren. He goes straight to the throne of God to throw mud on us, to accuse us. We have to get up, dust ourselves off, repent and go straight to the throne of God and say, Lord, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me just as David did. Don't take the joy from me. Don't take the helper, the comforter from me. I'm sorry. We need these kinds of services. 
We need to hear this kind of preaching. We need to hear this in our churches. We need the presence of the Holy Spirit. We need a spirit-filled life. But so many churches in the nation today refuse to let the Holy Spirit in. Pastor talked about it in class this morning, I believe. So many churches teach the word, but they don't teach about the Holy Spirit. And I believe in America, there's so much sin in America because there's so much sin in the churches. And there's so much sin in so many churches because so many people won't take time to get in God's presence. They won't take time to seek God. They come to church, get a little feeling, and go home. But they won't take time during the week to actively seek God's presence and to draw in to the presence of the Holy Spirit. When we get in the presence of the Holy Spirit, God restores marriages. He restores lives. He restores relationships. He restores families. He restores finances. He gives us the promises. The promises begin to unfold when we're in the presence of the Holy Spirit. But when we're not in the presence of the Holy Spirit, that's when sin destroys. The sin comes in and destroys our lives. John 10.10 says, The thief cometh to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I came to give you life and to give it more abundantly. When we walk in the presence of God, the thief is not coming in. When we're under the shadow of the Almighty, the thief is not going to come in and steal and kill and destroy us because we're under God's cover and we're under God's protection. We're in the presence of the Holy Ghost. So we have to host the Holy Ghost. I feel the Holy Spirit now. Come on, Holy Spirit. Bless us and blister us here tonight. Help us, change us, deliver us, set us free, Lord God. Lord, when you set us free, we're free indeed. The weight of sin is lifted and the glory comes, Lord God. You begin to unfold the promises. Lord, we, we relax in your presence tonight. We bask in your presence tonight, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. You know, we, we get so concerned about the presence of his power. We want to see, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. We get concerned about the presence of his power. We want to see miracles. We want to see healings. We want to see people delivered by the presence of his power. Sometimes we want to see angels. We want to see Jesus himself. We get concerned about the presence of his power. But what about the power of his presence? Some people resist the power of his presence. What about the power of the presence that wants to come in like a consuming fire and clean house? What about the power of his presence that wants to change lives, that wants to work through us, that wants to activate us and send us on the mission field? And the mission field could be right out here. It doesn't have to be Cambodia. We're on the mission field every day. But when you activated by the power of the Holy Spirit and he says, why don't you go and talk to that person? What about that power of the presence? Jacob, Jacob got into the throne zone. Jacob was in the throne zone. You might say, what's the throne zone? That's my new word, the throne zone. I was in the throne zone one night. We had a prayer meeting at the house. We had a few people, not, not a whole lot of people, a handful of people. But we were in the presence of God so strong, so strong. And we were praying, and three of us had the same vision because we talked about it after. Three of us had the vision that Jesus walked up to us while we were in a crowd of people, and he took us by the hand, and he took us behind the veil into the throne room. Three people had the same vision. That's being in the throne zone. We was in the throne zone. We was in the presence of the Holy Spirit, and we was hosting the Holy Ghost. So Jacob Jacob had this dream of a ladder ascending to heaven. He saw... He saw angels ascending and descending on the ladder. And in the, the very next chapter of the Bible, we read that Jacob made a vow to God. He said, Lord, he said, if you will bless me, I will give you a tenth of everything I make. But we never read that God brought up anything about money. God didn't once say, I want a tenth of everything you make. But when we get in the presence of the Holy Spirit, 
things begin to get stirred up on the inside of us that we may have never even thought of. So Jacob, because he loved God and because the Holy Spirit stirred this up on the inside of him, and we didn't have a giving teaching, so this is the giving teaching if you make your checks out to RMI. <laughs> Just, we didn't do the giving teaching. But uh, Jacob began to faithfully and be obedient to God, the vow that he made. And the Bible says that God blessed Jacob, and Jacob was very rich. Jacob was not rich because he gave God a tenth of what he made. Jacob was rich because he was obedient to the Holy Spirit. When we host the Holy Ghost and we're obedient to the Holy Ghost, God wants to make us rich, not only in finances. He wants to make us rich in family. He wants to make us rich in relationships. God's desire is to give us our heart's desire. God does not want us sick. God's will is that we're healed. God's will is always that we healed. No father would want to see his children sick. But the short is on our end sometimes. Maybe it's something we have to do. Maybe it's something we have to believe. Maybe it's just not arrived yet. I believe a lot of people's healing has already been released from heaven. And they just have to be in position for the provision of God. So where did Jacob get that, that idea from? He was in the presence of the Holy Spirit. He was in the throne zone. He was hanging out with Jesus. He was hanging out with the Holy Spirit. He was in the presence of God. And God stirred up the things in his heart. Sometimes God will stir up the good and the bad. Sometimes God will say he'll encourage us and he'll tell us we're doing a good job and he'll give us direction, but sometimes he'll come and he'll convict us. He'll never condemn us. He'll never condemn us. The Holy Spirit will bring conviction and say, hey, you need to tighten up that area. Hey, you need to check that area because his desire is to be released in our life. And sin will quench, it will grieve the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.30 says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. So sin will grieve the Holy Spirit. So sometimes he comes to bless us and sometimes he comes to blister us. But it's all to prosper us. It's all to deliver us. It's all to make us rich in the Holy Ghost. When we enter his presence with praise, God enters our circumstances with power. When we enter his presence with praise, the Holy Spirit comes in our circumstances with power. Psalms 100 says, and you will enter his gates with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise. Jen's shaking her head because she knows that verse. And we'll bless the Lord. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving. I will enter his courts with praise. When we praise God, the Holy Spirit comes. When we praise God, situations and circumstances cause us to, to not want to praise God sometimes. But we have to press through sometimes. Psalms 103 says, bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord. King David said, bless the Lord, O my soul. Sometimes we have to tell our soul, bless the Lord, soul. Bless the Lord. Sometimes we don't feel like blessing the Lord. But we have to tell ourselves, bless the Lord, oh my soul. But due to situations and circumstances and being human, sometimes man's brain is maxed out on God's ability to perform. Because we can't think out of the box sometimes. And sometimes we limit God. And even though man is maxed out, God is not limited. God is not limited. The level of our faith places no limitations on God. The level of our faith places no limitations on God. And God places no limitations on the level of our faith. So with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible because there's no limits, no holds barred. Everything is possible with God. We have to learn to host the Holy Ghost. I have a few stories that I want to share with you tonight. And it, it talks about being a better host of the Holy Spirit. It talks about living a spirit-filled life. And it, some of these stories, I never really related it to this until I was studying for this sermon. One story is 
Noah in the ark. The dove is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that Noah opened the window of the ark and released the dove. Actually, in the Bible, it says 40 days. After 40 days, he opened the window. But that was 40 days after he saw the tops of the mountains. So he had already been in the ark for 10 months. Everybody thinks 40 days and 40 nights, but the actual event was a year and 10 days, 375 days. So after 10 months, Noah opened the window of the ark and released the dove. God releases the Holy Spirit from heaven the same way. He releases the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit comes and sees who can he rest upon. Where can the soles of the feet of the Holy Spirit rest upon? The Holy Spirit wants to come and take residence, but he's choosy. He's not just going to go anywhere. Just like us, we don't go anywhere that we choose because some places are not conducive for us to be if we want to live for God, if we want to continue to live for God. If we married, there's some places that are not conducive for me to be. So the Holy Spirit looks for someone that he can rest upon, just like the dove when, Moses, when Noah let him out of the ark. God, the Holy Spirit looks for someone who he can be partnered with because he's our helper, helper, he's our comforter, he's our partner, paraclete. So the dove couldn't find anywhere for the soles of his feet to rest. And the dove said to himself, the little dove said to himself, he said, you know, Noah really hosted me good. He said he really treated me well. He said, I'm going to go back to Noah. I'm going to go back to his window. I'm going to go back to his family. And I'm going to go back to where I'm treated good. Because you know a dove is not a homing pigeon. Doves don't come back to where they leave from unless they're roosting or nesting. And especially they don't come back to people. Doves are timid. Doves are shy. Doves are scary. You can't just walk up to a dove. They'll fly away. But here's this dove coming back to Noah. So that tells us something. Noah must have treated him well. Noah must have been a perfect host for the dove, which is the Holy Ghost. So Noah opened up the window, and the dove came, and it says it flew into Noah's hand, and it says Noah pulled him back into himself, pulled him back in, I believe, to his bosom, probably petted him on his head, maybe kissed his little head. Say, good dove. So how do we make the Holy Spirit when, when the Bible says that when Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit came down and remained on him. It remained. And that's what we want, the Holy Spirit to come down and remain on us. But we have to be a good host. We have to learn to be a Noah. We have to learn to, to, to respect and, and to treat well the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but I want to learn. I want God to show me how to be a better host. I want him to show me how to live the spirit-filled life because it's for not only for my benefit, but it's for the benefit of my family. It's for the benefit of the body of Christ. It's for the benefit of all those around me. It's not just for me, but it is for me, and it is for you. It's for everyone individually and personally. So Noah let this dove, he released the dove, and the dove came back. And, and this is so awesome. When the dove came back the second time, he had an olive branch in his mouth. He had an olive branch. The olive branch represents the anointing of God. So when we know how to host the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit brings an anointing to us. It brings, it brings the presence of God. We're anointed with the presence of God. When we make room for the Holy Spirit in our life, he brings the anointing to us and to all that are around us. We have to learn to worship the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, with clean living, with righteous living, with good living, things that won't offend him. The olive branch represented a new beginning. The olive branch represented a new beginning. This was the, the world that was washed away, and after a 100 years, I mean a 100 days of being underwater, things aren't green anymore. So this was a new beginning. In the same way the Holy Spirit comes to us, 
And he says, there's a new life for you. The old things are washed away and all things have become new. There's a new life I want to bring you. The, the, the olive branch being in his mouth, the dove was saying, Noah, there's peace out there. There's peace out there. And when the Holy Spirit comes to us, he says, there's peace out there. The storm is over. The storm is over. The tempest is over. The flood is over. I want to bring peace in your life. I want to bring restoration in your life. I want to bring redemption in your life. I want to bring the power of God in your life. I want to bring deliverance in your life. I want to set you free. I want to help you overcome. I want to help you be victorious. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. And that's what the dove did when he brought the olive branch back to Noah. He said, there's a new world out there. And I want to tell you tonight, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, there's a new world out there. There's a world that you're missing out on. The Holy Spirit. So, the Holy Spirit brings peace, power, provision, clarity out of chaos and boldness. In Ezekiel 37 Ezekiel 37, it says, I will place my spirit on them and they will live. Ezekiel 37 is the story of the prophet who looked and saw the valley of dry bones. And God breathed into the dry bones. And it said all of a sudden the muscles came and sinews and tissue. And they came alive. And that's what the Holy Spirit does to us. That's what we were talking about. We're not living until we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. Also, in Acts 2.17, this is a picture of the promise that is being poured out. Acts 2.17 says, And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Excuse me just a second. I apologize if it's a little warm in here. We're learning how to work the air condition still. It wasn't summer when we started here, but it is now. God places his spirit inside of us. And greater is he that's in us than he that is in the world. He says, do not be afraid of the world, for I have overcome the world. Greater is the spirit that's in us. It's the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead that lives inside of us when we host the Holy Ghost, when we host the Holy Spirit. But there's also, when we accept Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes. When we accept Jesus into our life, his Holy Spirit comes inside of us. But there's also a baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's an immersion. There's a saturation of the Holy Spirit. It's when we get dripping. It's when we get so full that we begin to drip the Holy Spirit. And that baptism of the Holy Spirit is what was poured out when the apostles got into persecution. And they asked Jesus, we need more. We need more of your spirit to carry on the job that you gave us, to continue the mission, to complete the job, to finish the assignment. It said the Holy Spirit came in like a mighty rushing wind. They already had the Holy Spirit, but they needed more. They needed more of the Holy Spirit. And when we get baptized in the Holy Spirit, that's the anointing that comes on us. And it gives us more power. It gives us spiritual gifts. It gives us the ability to operate outside of our natural body into the supernatural realm and to do the things that God's called us to do. And to do the things that God's called us to do. In Romans 8, it says, When we know not what we shall pray, the Spirit himself makes intercessions from us. The Holy Spirit gives us a spiritual language. We call it tongues. A lot of people believe tongues stopped at the upper room. They said it was for a season, but it's too late. It's too late to tell me it was a season. Because the Holy Spirit speaks through us. When I was young, I got prayed for many times to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking in tongues. We had a prophet come to church one night, and I had just broken my arm. I was in the hospital for a week. Uh, they said I'd never get full use out of my arm. I had ligament damage, tendon damage. It was broken in three places. I had wires in it. I had two pins in it. I had a row of staples in it. And, uh, in fact, this is the scar right here. I don't know if you can see it. Still have the scar, just like Jesus still has the scars of what he went through on earth for us. So the prophet came to me, and I was 17 at the time. He said, I gave an altar call, 
and apparently you need a healing, but you didn't come up. And I said, no, sir, I didn't. He said, you mind if I pray for you? I said, no, sir, I don't. So he began to pray for me. And before he prayed for my arm, he prophesied on me. And I don't know if everybody in here may have had people prophesy on them or if somebody hasn't had prophecy on them before. But when a prophet, when a man of God hears from the Holy Spirit and begins to unveil and unfold things in your life, you become a believer real quick. Because <laughs> he was telling me things that only me and God knew. And my mama was standing right there, so I was hoping he wouldn't say too much. But <laughs> he, he began to unfold some things. And when he said, the Lord's healing your arm right now, I could feel things moving in my arm. And, and I felt the Holy Spirit for the first time in my life. Now, I got saved when I was 13 years old. And I believe at that time the Holy Spirit came inside of me and lived inside of me. But when he started praying for my arm, I felt something that I never felt before. And I began to shake. And I began to tremble. And my mom was standing right behind me. And she said she felt the electricity go through her. And I began to speak in other tongues. While he prayed for my arm. He said, do something you could never do before. And I had my arm in a sling. I couldn't lift it over my, off of my body. And I lifted it over my head. And I think my mom almost passed out when I did it. But I went home that night and I played my drums. I went home that night. I went to school the next week and I carried my book sack. And people said, you didn't break your arm. And they grabbed my arm. And I was like, oh, I still got staples in it. You know? But I had broke my arm. But, but that was when I got baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I had many, many people pray for me over and over and over and over and over. Say what I say. Do what I do. Pray this. You know, who stole my Honda? Tie my bow tie. All that they used to say. And, and never got baptized. But this one time, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So then I started in my room when I was quiet, when it was alone, when it was just me and God. Nobody else was around because I was shy and I was timid. And I was still afraid to do it in front of people. And, and God would start speaking through me. And the Holy Spirit would start speaking through me. And I developed a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And it was me and God in my room. And we developed a relationship. And then, then I couldn't contain it no more. And then I started doing it in church. And God changed me. God made me a different person. Just like when I met Donna, she made me a different person. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for everybody. You may have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You may have never heard the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You may want the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I just want to encourage you. It's for everybody. It's for everybody. We need the Holy Spirit. We need more of the Holy Spirit. We have to have more than just head knowledge. We have to have more than just another song. We have to have more than just another prayer. We have to have more than just another message. How many messages have we heard we got to have the Holy Spirit. we got to seek. The word says that seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. We have to seek the kingdom. We have to look for God. We have to seek. We, it says as a deer panteth for the water, so do I panteth for you. As a deer panteth for the water brooks. We have to thirst for the Holy Ghost. There's another story in the Bible of the woman with the issue of blood. All of us, most of us have heard this story. The woman pressed through the crowd and she touched the hem of Jesus' garment. And she had a blood flow disease for 12 years. But a lot of people speak this parable incorrectly. They say the woman pressed through the crowd and touched Jesus. She didn't touch Jesus. She touched the hem of his garment. She touched the hem that touched him. She touched the hymn that had touched him. She didn't have to touch Jesus. She just touched the hymn. And when we get in the presence of the Holy Spirit, we touch him. And some of you are here tonight, and you got into the presence of the Holy Spirit. You may have been touched while we were worshiping. You may have been touched while Donna was praying, while, while Jen was praying, while I was praying. Maybe while I'm giving this message, you feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. You touched him. But you're going to leave here and you're going to go back home or you're going to go back to work or you're going to go back to school. And the hymn that you touched, you may have family or friends that didn't want to come to church or may not even want a relationship with God. But the hymn that you touched is going to touch them. 
the him that you touched is going to touch them. So we have to touch him to touch them. We have to go to him so we can touch them. Because it's not just for us. God wants us to share it. In, in Mark 6, 56, I don't know if I gave you this verse or not. If you can bring it up. Mark 6, 56. It wasn't just the woman with the issue of blood that touched the hem of his garment. Mark 6, 56 says, Wherever he entered into the villages, cities, or country, they laid the sick in the marketplace and begged him that they might just touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched were made well. When we touch him, we can touch them. We have to spend time in his presence. We have to leave different than we came. Every time we get into the presence of God, we leave different. Every time we get into the presence of the Holy Spirit, he reveals, he speaks to us, we speak to him. He touches us, he heals us, he delivers us, he sets us free. He changes us, if not anything but encourages us to grow. The Bible says in the book of Acts that they took note of the disciples that they were unlearned men, but they had not been with the Lord. They said, we can't explain this because these guys are brilliant. They hadn't been to any college. They hadn't been to any seminary or Bible school, but they were with him. They were with him. And it goes on to say that there's something irresistible about them. In other words, when they got close to him, they were able to affect them. They were able to stir them to to bring conviction on them. Conviction's not bad. Condemnation is horrible, but conviction's not bad. But when we're in the presence of God, when we spend time at Jesus' feet, when we spend time leaning up against the Lord, when we spend time seeking the Holy Spirit, people see a change in us, and it touches them. It touches them. Our job as a Christian is once we get saved, not to regress. We're not called to a distant, cold, calloused, used-to-be, has-been relationship with Jesus. We need to get on fire for God. We need to, to let the consuming fire come inside of us and ignite something in us that nothing in this world can quench or stop because that's what God's called us to do. We have to be full of the word, full of the spirit, so that when the lost and the dying world, the lost and the dying community, the unsaved, the ungodly come, they can see something in us. Sometime all they can see is the Jesus inside of you and me. They want to see Jesus in the flesh, but sometimes all they can see is the Jesus in you and me. Turn to someone and say, touch him for them. Touch him for them. This, this sermon is one that should encourage us, it should motivate us, it should challenge us, it should charge us to be more like God. I say it should charge us. Paul, Paul said, I charge you before the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said, I charge you before the Lord Jesus Christ. You know there's a difference between a shock and a charge. Don't listen to this, mama. When I was young, <laughs> when I was young, we used to do things that crazy kids would do and thank God for his protection and for parents that would pray that we wouldn't kill ourselves. But we would take electricity and we would wire it up around something like a doorknob. Or we, would, we had this old medical scale. We would wire it and then our friends would get on it and it would shock them and we would laugh. Or, or we would say, are you man enough to go and touch it and see if they could go and touch it? You know, that was a shock. It was funny. But I think I don't recommend this. If there's any kids, I do not recommend doing this at home. I thank God for the protection of the Holy Spirit. But that was a shock. Sometimes we come to church for a shock. Sometimes we want a shock. There's a difference between a shock and a charge. That was a shock. Sometimes we want to hear another song. We come sometimes because we just love to hear Jen sing. We come because we love to see Donald play the guitar. We come because we want to hear another joke. We want the pastor to stroke our emotions and our feelings and our egos. We want to hear another encouraging prophecy. You're doing good, my son. We want to hear another, another something just to shock us. And then we leave. But, but have we spent time in his presence? That's where we get the charge from. 
There's a difference in a shock and a charge. When we leave out of the presence of God, saturated in the Holy Spirit, dripping in the Holy Ghost, we charged up. We on fire. We ready to conquer the world. We ready to defeat any enemy of hell that would come against us when we leave out of the presence of the Holy Spirit, charged up and on fire. Don't come to church just for a shock. Get charged up in the Holy Spirit. It'll change your life and it'll change the family. It'll change your friends. It'll change your co-workers. If you touch him for them. I don't know where I'm at in my notes. <laughs> we have to learn the Holy. We have to learn to host the Holy Ghost. We have to be charged. Let's look in Exodus 33 verse 1. Moses had an amazing attitude. Verses 1 through 3. It says. Then the Lord said to Moses, Depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your descendants, I will give it. And I will send my angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites and the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. That's a hard word. The people mourned after they heard that word. God says, you go up, and I'll send my angels before you and drive out the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Parasites and the Termites. He said, go up, go forward from this place. And I'll send my angel before you. And the promises will begin to unfold. So you'll go up with the angels. And you'll go up in my promises. My promises are inside of you. And you'll conquer the land. That's a great word. But Abraham had, I mean, uh, Moses had a great attitude. Moses stopped 2.5 million people in their tracks when God said that. He stopped them. Go to verse 15. And this is what Moses said. He, Moses said back to God, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. I don't want to go anywhere without the presence of the Holy Spirit with me. Even though angels are great, promises are great, teaching of the word is great, head knowledge is great, that means nothing without the presence of the Holy Spirit. All of that is good. Get as much of it as you can. But get the presence of the Holy Spirit. If you have the word on this hand and the presence of the Holy Spirit on this hand, then you'll go far and do well. But if you have the word and head knowledge here and no presence, you're like a one-winged blackbird. You're not flying nowhere. You'll fly in circles. They balance each other out, the presence of the Holy Spirit and the word of God. They balance us out just like the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. If you try to have the gifts of the Spirit with no fruit, you'll fail. If you try to have the fruit of the Spirit with no gifts, you won't be effective. But if you have the fruit and the gifts, the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, you'll be balanced. God wants us to be balanced. The Word of God without the presence of God will destroy you. It'll destroy you. We need the presence of God in our life. And the way to have the presence of God is to learn to host the Holy Ghost. To learn to live a spirit-filled life. We have churches that are teaching the word of God. And we have nations going to hell. Because they won't take time to get in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Teaching is great. Knowledge is great. Head knowledge is great. Promises are great. But no presence and we're doomed. We're doomed. And there's no shortcuts. We have to pray. We have to search. We have to seek. We have to fast. It doesn't come easy, but it comes to those who seek after God. He says, ask and ye shall, ask and ye shall find. Seek and ye shall find. Ask and it will be given. Knock and it will be opened. Ask and it will be given. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. We have to ask. We have to seek, and we have to keep knocking. We have to keep knocking, saying, Lord, give us more. Give us more. I want more of you, Lord, more of you. I'm not satisfied where I'm at. 
I'm not satisfied. Moses wasn't satisfied with the angel and with the promises and with the land. Moses wanted the presence of God. And that's where we need to be. The Holy Spirit brings life. It brings exposure to sin. But we have to surrender our agenda sometimes. Sometimes we have to make time. Sometimes we have to go another step. Sometimes we have to read another book. Sometimes we have to press in a little harder. Sometimes we have to pray a little longer. But don't stop. Don't stop. Endure to the end. And that's when the blessings come. That's when you find what you're looking for. The Holy Spirit. I'm going to close with this last thing. David ate the showbread. And the showbread was called the showbread of his presence. And that very next day, David out and won, David went out and won one of his biggest battles. And the presence of God, when you're in the presence of God, he brings strength in the battle. He brings strength in the battle. The Holy Spirit brings strength. It's a, he helps us to be an overcomer. He helps us to be victorious. He gives us the knowledge that we seek for. So I encourage you tonight to be a host of the Holy Ghost. I encourage you to go an extra mile, press in a little harder, go a little deeper, go on further and endure to the end. Because we have to. We have to learn. We have to touch Him for them, for the family members that we're believing for, for the co-workers, for the atmosphere to change. We can be an influencer of the atmosphere if we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. Let's stand and close in prayer. Sometimes we're in a battle, and we're in a battle in the flesh, and we keep fighting in the flesh, in the flesh, in the flesh. We keep fighting the battles in the flesh. The battles of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, in God for the pulling down of strongholds. We fight in the battles in the flesh, but the battles were made to be fought in the Spirit, from the presence of God, with the presence of God. There is where we find our victory. There is where we find where we can overcome. There is where we find where we can go forward, where we can move forward into the promised land, into the abundant life that God gave us. God says, be still and know that I am God. I will fight your battles. It's not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. It's by the spirit of the Holy Ghost. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you that you equipped us. You enable us. You activate us. You authorize us. You deputize us. You send us out, Lord God. But just as in the Great Commission, you said, Lo, and I will be with you always till the end of the age. You don't send us out alone, Lord God, but you send us out with the presence of the Holy Spirit. Greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. There's nothing we can go against that we'll have to be afraid of because you give us everything we need. Lord, we take the limitations off of our faith off of our mind we believe for more of you we believe for bigger things we believe for better things we believe for more answered prayer more healing more deliverance in our personal lives lord we believe for more deliverance of our families and friends more salvations that more people would get to know you and understand your love for us lord god lord we thank you that we are carriers of your presence we thank you that we're vessels that you can work on, in, and through, Lord God. Lord, we're willing and obedient vessels, and we empty more of ourselves to have more of you, Lord God. Lord, remove the sin in our life. Lord, blister our conscience. Sear our conscience with a hot iron. Drive us to our knees until we realize, Lord God, that we just need your grace, your mercy, and repentance. And we ask for your forgiveness, Lord God. Holy Spirit, teach us to be a better host. Teach us not to grieve you. Teach us what you like, what doesn't offend you. And if there's anything offensive in our life, reveal it to us. That we don't offend you and you're not grieved or quenched. And that you can walk with us all the days of our life. Lord, we stand on your word. We stand on your promises. Your promises are great. Your word is great. Lord God, but your presence is amazing. Your presence is awesome. 
as Moses said, we don't want to move from this place without your presence. We thank you, Father. I'm going to be here at the altar. If anybody has any battles that they're fighting, if anybody has anything in their heart that they wanted me to pray with them about, if the Holy Spirit has tugged on your heart and asked you to pray about this certain thing, I'm here. My wife's here. We have other pastors here, Pastor Donald and Pastor Jen, that are willing to pray with you tonight. We're going to leave the altar open if anybody needs specific prayer. But other than that, we love y'all. We're glad y'all were here with us tonight. Y'all are dismissed, and we'll see y'all next Saturday. Amen.